Hey, welcome back, everybody, to the Deuce Rethread. We are a part of the DVR Podcasting Network. Check us out on Twitter at DVR Podcast. My name is Mike, and I am here to cover the Deuce. I'm here with Jason Bailey. How you doing, Jason? Hello. <laughs> Hello. All <laughs> uh, right, so we are talking about episode two. Show and Prove is the title. Show and Prove. It's always nice to have somebody here who's aware of stuff like I'd, that. I'd make I take a note or two. Uh written and direct or excuse me, written by uh show co-creator George Pelicanos and executive producer Richard Price, both of whom we discussed Pedigree. Yeah. Both of whom we discussed extensively in the last episode. Directed by Mr. Ernest Dickerson. All right. Let's talk about Ernest Dick let's let's take a minute to talk about Mr. Dickerson. This is an exciting credit. Well Ernest Dickerson most of us first became aware of as the director of photography for Spike Lee's first six joints. So that's She's Gotta Have It, School Days Do the Right Thing, Mo' Better Blues, Jungle Fever, and Malcolm X. Some spectacularly photographed films. Yeah. Yeah. The dude can shoot a movie. Yeah. Um, and then he split off to be- become a director in his own right. He did Juice. Okay. Uh, was his uh, debut film. Uh, God, what a debut. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> okay. And then he directed several other movies. Um, and, then, <laughs> and he spent most of uh, the last, you know... Uh, I don't know, 10, 15 years doing a lot of TV, okay. including uh, six episodes of The Wire and uh, six episodes of Treme, 11 Walking Deads. He did six episodes of Bosch, which we didn't talk about, but is the show that Pelicanos worked on before this one. So this is a, he's got a rich history uh, with the, the people who made this show and is a hell of a good director uh, in film and television. Yeah, absolutely. So there's your... There's your uh, there's your personnel on this episode, and for me, this episode did not tarnish his uh, did not tarnish his record. No, certainly not. <laughs> right? Certainly not. So, I mean, I think the most striking thing, like to talk about immediately with this episode, is what a point we made in discussing the first one of how porn is not a part of the picture yet in yep. episode one. Like, not the 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 idea of. Pornography is not even mentioned. They're just sort of setting up dominoes. Which is weird because it was kind of sold as that. Yes. That was a major part of the original, the initial kind of pitch. M- pitch. Right? Yeah. Um, and this one like immediately gets in, gets it like sort of jumps right into that. Right. The first scene after the opening credits. So there's a pre, uh, pre-title sequence um, with that sort of sets up the title with this business with the cops and the paddy wagon and that element of, of busting prostitutes. But the first scene out of the opening credits is of somebody taking pictures of a naked girl, right. which is really what that whole industry boils down to. Um, <laughs> I guess that's true, right? Cheesecake photos um, of the girl we saw getting sliced at the end of the previous episode. Um, and it's not, and, and it's being pitched to her as a, a, a tool in her tool. She literally calls it a tool. She's getting headshots. She's getting headshots. It's just of her naked body. Well done. Right? Um, and there's a whole, and, and this is what's great because we're, Simon is always in all of his work interested in process. Right. Always. How does this work? It's one of the things that he has in common with uh, one of my favorite filmmakers, Steven Soderbergh, mm-hmm. a real fascination with process and uh, a lack of fear of getting too bogged down in the details. There's no, there's no tiny detail that's not interesting to him and that he assumes won't be interesting to us. And he can write even tiniest detail. I mean, it's about, Mm -hmm. it's about the presentation of it, right? But that's one thing when you do write things, 
right? <laughs> like, you know, and I don't just mean when you're writing scripts or stuff like that. When you are writing, you know, your reviews and things, you, the things that interest you are the things that you pull out. Sure. You unpack, yep. right? And yep. so when, if for someone who's interested in procedure, yeah. you know, he's aware that he can't just read us a laundry list, right? He's got to make it compelling you know dramatically us, right? yeah uh, yeah 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 totally but there's none there's no little thing that's too small or too intricate right. or whatever that it can't be worked in somehow right yeah and when you're doing that kind of writing it's also it is the challenge then is to not just make it um uh, an information dump mm -hmm. but to mm -hmm. frame it in dramatic terms and traditional dramatic terms so what he's doing here that I think is really clever in that in that scene, what he's not doing it, sorry, this Pelicano surprise wrote it, but what they're doing <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> in that scene is sort of like finding a vehicle, a character journey through which to impart that information because it's being explained to her. This is classic expositional right. device. Um, so she is starting the process of becoming an adult film actor. Right. What we now call an adult film. <laughs> right. um, so, you know, we have that dialogue between them that's like, you know, this is for an audition, right? And he's like, yes, it's acting, it's movies, you know, big star. Some big stars got their start this way. The same lies that are still being told yep. about working yep. in porn. But that she's getting, for lack of a better word, headshots that she is then to write her name and number on the back of so that those can be distributed to the people who make porn loops and they can contact her to hire her to work. So that's sort of the beginning of that process here, but it's also not just a process that's being described through her journey, but then we loop in with Darlene, who is further along in that process. Right. She's done like one that she didn't realize was not for personal private just, use. Well, again, again, with the goddamn things that we still hear. Yes. Right? Like, no, baby, this is just for yeah. me. This tape is just and for I mean, me. That I'll has... never show it to my friends after we break up. Yeah. And that has taken a whole on a whole new dimension with right. revenge porn and, and you know. And uh, quote unquote and, uh, reality porn and yes. amateur and pro amateur and all of the divisions of that. Yes. Yes. Yes, but it's the same underlying and literally the same fucking dialogue. Yeah, totally, <laughs> totally. But so, so, so we're catching her further along in in that process, um, and and starting again to also hear some of the lingo, mm -hmm. um, the phrase, the the term sunlighting, mm -hmm. the idea of you hook at night and in the daytime hours when there's less of that work is when you go shoot movies. Um, that was a real term. That's a term that's in the other Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, yeah. As you know, that that's that is a quote unquote real thing. But then later in the episode, again, we're getting more into the sort of specifics and the logistics of the industry at the moment we're coming in. When Darlene goes to like her investigates basically, mm -hmm. so she's going to the dirty bookshop and she's finding out like about where he does or doesn't get his stuff from. And the 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 other woman who's with her, it says, "Here, I'm looking for work. Give him to one of the guys in the movie business you don't know." Right. <laughs> um, but then later on, the scene where uh, Cece and Gloria are at a movie theater that is showing the clipped versions of these loops, and he walks her through. Right. The difference between the loops, the versions that show in the theater, that they can't show the full version in the theater or else they'll get busted. Right. Um, and then it, it it's sort of fascinating how that also becomes uh, a scene about the different levels of 
porn of uh, prostitution. Well, it, you know, he is sitting there, and and it's not just the scene, but specifically the shot, the main shot mm-hmm. of them in the theater where he's talking to her about this stuff. You see him, and mm-hmm. you know, from the from the viewer's perspective on the left side of the screen is Cece and then Minnesota. I can't remember. Gloria. Gloria, thank you. Cece and then Gloria. And he's talking about how it's illegal to show penetration in the theater. Meanwhile, on the right side of the screen... Right. right, the rest of the shot, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. is a guy getting a blowjob, right? So, like, so it's very clear that you can't, and he's, and he's not just saying you can't show these. Mo- he's saying you can't show these movies in this theater where multiple dudes are currently <laughs> getting blowjobs, right? Right, like yeah. that to me was like a really, it's you know, and that's an interesting thing about. Expos- how exposition works on multiple levels, right? You know, because you you have the exposition about the movies, right? You know, but you also that there is an expositional element about the legality of that scenario and that the, literally that theater, but also obviously the deuce, mm-hmm. right? That there is an expositional element of the jurisprudence that is happening mm-hmm. with this blowjob shot, you know, right? God, I love it when you can turn a blowjob into like a. Anyway, I yeah. just use jurisprudence and blowjob in one sentence, Yay! and I think it makes sense. Yeah, that's a hell of that's that's hell of filmmaking. Yeah, no, no, and and also what's the 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 little touch that I like that's that again, it's just like there's so much they're they're just glant you know hinting at things that there's a whole history behind, and the, mm-hmm. the sort of offhand references you can just make if you fully deep dived into this history the way that I'm sure these writers did. Mm -hmm. Um, The thing later on when the cops are busting that same dirty bookstore and he has, you know, the line about, um, uh, Oh, what's you didn't, you didn't uh, clip your, Oh, you didn't trim the loops, Lou. And Lou responds, Hey, sex USA is playing at the Rialto out in the open. But that movie is a quote unquote documentary. And this (laughs) whole history in uh, exploitation film in dirty movies of the first waves are made by things that frame themselves as documentary. The first nudist movie, magazines. Yes, nudist magazines and movies. Yes. The first movies where you could see naked boobs were documentaries about life on a nudist colony where the filmmakers had to, you know, were, were, were trucking in playmates and cheesecake models <laughs> that who are acting like they're nudists because the actual nudists who lived there were no one you wanted to see in a movie. Um, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but then that was like the little push through the door that then enabled the rise of the nudie cutie in the 60s. Well, a movie like Sex USA, which is a real movie that uh, Gerard Damiano, who went on to do The Devil and Miss Jones and Deep Throat, directed, uncredited, was a 1971 release that had that kind of exposure, as he said, playing at the Rialto, because it was framed as a documentary about sex. And you had all of these sort of like, you know, uh, sex marriage documentaries in this period where, you know, you cut back and forth between like uh, a Swedish doctor subtitled, you know, it's the scene you see the movie of in taxi driver. For those of you who haven't seen old porn movies where they're, where they can, they can get away with this graphic sex because it's framed as being educational documentary foreign and so you know. you've got like eight minutes of, yeah. of hot bush mashing and then right. you cut away to a minute of a guy in a doctor suit right like, you should probably wear a condom and yes, this is yes, how babies yes, exactly. get made Basically, and then yes. you go back to yes, right exactly yeah so it's our first look at what 
porn sort of was at that moment, and also our first look at how porn was made in that moment. Right. Through the, I, I really, you know what? Let me just look now. The, the Maggie Gyllenhaal character, so we don't just keep calling her Maggie Candy. Gyllenhaal, is Candy. Yes. Eileen is her real name. Candy is her street name. Okay, so this is also our introduction to the how the sausage is made, mm-hmm. if you will, if you'll mm-hmm. pardon the, the double entendre. <laughs> um, in I will. The, I can't promise for everybody else. <laughs> in the... Um, the scene where she goes to to cover for her friend who has who has to be in court to make her seventy five bucks um, uh, acting in a porn loop, which she points out you can make on the corner. You can what make that you, in the what corner. What are you going to go to the Bronx for? Yes, exactly. <laughs> and I love too the idea that like yeah that they're shooting this in like a basement in the Bronx, right? You know, um, so it's not the most glamorous shoot um, <laughs> even co- like the the Dirk Diggler's first shoot in Boogie Nights is glamorous yes, compared to this one yes, like they're yes. in this dirty basement the first thing we see is like a naked guy smoking a cigarette in a viking hat um, she's asking about the script and the other girl who says uh, it's not it's in Dr. Javago <laughs> they don't even record sound which is true right they would that was more expensive to do sync sound so they would just like add in moans and groans later if at all some of them were just silent loops right um, but you caught on to what was happening in that scene before I did I thought it was just your basic expositional this is how porn was made. Mm-hmm. Um, but you immediately saw what was happening in that scene. I mean, it's a procedural. It's her yeah. noticing, you know, it's her seeing how this gets done and walking into a situation and being like, oh, like everybody here's a fucking moron. Yeah. <laughs> like, but this I ro- could 100% yeah. do this. This rotating you know? series of close ups, like during the sex scene, right. which is business. Like, she could do literally with her eyes closed. Yep. Um, she is, yes, she's, she, we are close up as she looks and a cutaway to what she sees, which is this bank of hot lights, right? Close up as she looks close up what she sees this schmuck with like a home movie camera handheld close up as she looks close up as she sees the girl holding the bounce board, right? She's taking notes in her she's head, take, right? Yes. Yes. And then afterwards she asks about the, what the bounce board is, which is fascinating too, because in a, in ways the like AD, you know, helper, whatever her exact, she's obviously wearing many hats. Yeah. Yeah. Is really the only person there who's totally engaged and knows what's going on. Absolutely. Which is also, I find to be factual about. Yeah. You yeah, know. yeah. Yeah. Um, and then afterwards, you know, like a, like a coach, she's watching game film. <laughs> <laughs> this great scene of her watching how it came out, you know, um, and clear like that, like, again, you don't want to get too ahead of the arcs because they do like to throw curveballs. But knowing what we know that the series is loosely based on this real scene, like this is clearly like a Gloria Leonard sort of figure who started out in front of the camera and figured out pretty quickly how to do a number of things behind the scenes and knew that that was the longer term career path anyway. Mm-hmm. And and. We just we had this conversation around um, Atomic Blonde, and um, I can't. All I can think is Maggie Gyllenhaal, who's not an Atomic Blonde. Charlize, thank you, Charlize Theron, who you said um, started her own production company. Yeah, aware of the fact that there's no stories about 38 year old women, Mm -hmm. no movies, right? Right, And so she starts her own thing so that she can develop projects projects for herself, right? 
And it's kind of interesting. We had the same conversation about Maggie Gyllenhaal in the previous episode, and here is her character essentially yeah. doing that thing that yeah. this other, you know, this previous performer did, right? And this idea of stepping behind the camera, mm-hmm. you know, it, it just I don't like. Yeah. I, I mean, I and like to be the, clear, to be clear, lot a lot of women in porn ended up doing that. Gloria Leonard was the one that leapt to mind just because she's in the the sections of other of the other Hollywood that I've been reading most recently. But this this was a thing that a fair number of these women did once they sort of aged out of those roles Mm -hmm. you know um there's only so much uh you know milf porn i guess (laughs) uh if that was even a thing then right so um so yeah it's uh, you know and but also you get the the inherent and boogie nights had this too the inherent humor of the low budget porn shoot Mm -hmm. and the sort of easy entertainment value of that Mm-hmm. Here, scene in the business with the potato soup, which I will admit totally <laughs> got me. Like, because they shoot it in such a way that at first you're like, "Oh, did HBO just show like, Wait, uh, yeah, what, yeah?" <laughs> and well, it turns out they didn't, but they got me for a minute, you know. Um, and and again, the stuff, some of the stuff we we touched on in the last episode about the sort of heavy. There's a lot of male nudity in this show. There are a lot of dicks that we saw. I don't think I think we said this while we were watching it, but didn't actually say it in the podcast that the that in the first episode we saw a hard male member wet wet plastic but hard right male member before we saw bare breasts, which right. has got to be a first for an HBO series. It's at very least uncommon. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 So. Yep. So yeah. Um. So that's sort of an element where some where we saw something going in the direct where we see something going in what seems to be a direction that's going to be pretty easy to predict. But again, in this episode, and again related to CC and Gloria, we had a scenario that turned out quite differently than where you thought it was going. This incredible sequence with her "quote unquote" bust, right? Where, I right. mean, to walk you through. And let's just let's just back up just a little sure. bit on sure, them sure, sure. too, because like you know they had that whole scene earlier in the episode where they're you know laying in bed doing blow. Yeah, and she was. Co- I mean, she she did a very good job of yeah. like acting out the the we call it Bobby Brown jaw is a common <laughs> terminology for yeah. it now. Hadn't heard that right where yeah. it, you just can't help you just yeah you just, eh, eh, eh. well and you saw it in that show so much like yeah he, you know you saw it with him and with Whitney both yeah. in that show and if you knew what you were looking for yeah. and she played the hell out of that in that scene. Well, that's a great scene because so often, including in things like boogie nights what we see is like the one sh- close-up of like the and then like cut to later everybody's partying poked out of their mind and the idea of a dialogue like staying with them for like a five ten minute dialogue scene after they snort and the 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 way you see them the way you see the coke hitting them and that's the thing is that it doesn't you know this is how people end up with needles and stuff like that yeah. is that it doesn't all hit you at once. Right. It's, your body has to metabolize. Right. It. And so it goes, you know, and if you just cut to the third and fourth and fifth line, yeah. by that point, your body is, you don't, you're not feeling it in the way that you are. Kind of, So like, that was just a very, that was a mm-hmm. very specifically and well done piece of acting, piece of acting, but also the kind of Coke talk that they're doing. Yeah. Is very authentic. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah. The let's let's talk about the way our lives are going to and be. How we're gonna take over the world, yeah, baby. baby. We're gonna take over yeah. the world. Yeah, that's really good. That's really good. Yeah. Um. So yeah. So but that uh, that great scene when she gets busted. Um. That you think is just like, oh shit, she's busted, and now he's got to get her out. Had and to happen gonna, to somebody. How is she gonna? How is he gonna react to that? They right. have this sort of this, you know, any time any sort of pimp prostitute relationship is explosive, and he's clearly has a capacity for violence. So how is this gonna play and out? The pimps right. are so different oh. in this episode, even just yeah. in the last episode where they right. were kind of fun, right? And there wasn't really any no. fun pimps anywhere. No. There was no fun moments for Mm-mm. them in this one. Mm-mm. Yeah, but the idea that like. So then he follows her. We're like, okay, well, where is this going to go, and what's going to happen? And he really seems like he's he's ready to just buy the the cop off, and like, oh, that's the way this scene is going to go. And then he fucking stabs him, <laughs> and I'm like, oh shit, this is we now have a guy. Our pimp just killed a cop. Right. This is going to be a problem. Right. And then for it to turn <laughs> that it's not a cop, that it's a a guy who was gonna, who was pretending to be a cop so he could take and murder her or torture her or something the bad. Biology teacher, we find out that like wow, the way that the beats of that scene, the predictable beats of that scene, are laid out and then fucking kicked over. <laughs> yeah, that's just good. That's yeah. good crime writing. It's yeah. as if Richard Price and George Pelicanos wrote this episode or something. <laughs> as if. <laughs> well, and it was just, it was extremely well done. And again, to the actress, mm. you know, I mean, she just, can you get him off of me? Like, yeah. just the way she played the whole thing, Woo! you know. Yeah, that yeah. was exceptionally well done. Yeah, yeah. So that's, you know, those are the sort of standout elements for me in this episode. Was that, okay, we're in porn now. We're, we're getting some real richness in that relationship. And then and and um, getting an idea of where we're gonna go uh, with candy, mm-hmm. um, but then we also have this other you know and I and I, a thing that we that we didn't really talk about when we were talking about what we love about Simon series, um, the the way that he can take these sort of detours and sidebars that again it's it's trusting the writer and and the the showrunners, um, but that we're we're gonna go into this side plot with. Um, payroll and construction workers and the mob which felt so much like i mean the whole construction season yeah in the wire with that guy on hand with even the- <laughs> you know um so so that's but the idea that that that's the way in which instead of uh, any of the sort of conventional inroads like we're clearly being set up for the for the historical fact that the mob were huge financiers of mm-hmm. pornography mhm it's clear, and it's clear that Franco's character is going to be a conduit for that. Mm-hmm. But to have it initially set up in this way that has n- th- that relationship established, right? In a way that has nothing to do with porn, right? This this whole you know basically ch- setting up the mob as a check cashing service for construction workers, <laughs> but that gets him in good with them. That gets him the offer of this uh, of taking over this gay bar, which, which was a very real thing about gay thing, bars, right? That in we New York. see from the mob in that era, and yep. they were behind all of the gay bars, and not only were they making money from them, but he says come on in Vince they don't bite yeah right and like there was that I mean that is another one of those very real elements Mm -hmm. that you know you have to get somewhat deep into the weeds of all of this before you really start to hear about right you know yeah and I also liked the whole um and you got to be really careful with this sort of thing because it can be too cute but the moment where Rudy the mobster is talking about 
the growth that will eventually happen in mm -hmm. Times Square, where mm -hmm. he's talking about, mm -hmm. you know, somebody's got to clean this place up, otherwise nothing's going to change, you know? And right. that's like 20 plus years away. But right. that is what happened to Times Square. Right. And that sort of... The, the change in Times Square and that uh, and what Times Square used to be in the sort of stark comparison to what it is now is, I'm sure, is a running undercurrent throughout the series. Right. That now it's Disney, you know, but right. then it was very much not. Right. Well, um, it's and I mean, I think we mentioned this before, but we haven't gotten to the bad parts. No. To the worst of, you know, years of that not area, all. too. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, yeah, it's it's. Still got a ways to go before it starts the, right. <laughs> the, the return. Right, exactly. And I'm sure they're going to take full advantage of that. Yeah. I do also like that the, I think that, his, that Rudy the Mob Guy's character's first line was, uh, what is this, the Patty Duke show? Which is like, <laughs> if it, would, it could have only been more perfect to our last episode discussion if he had said, what is this, the parent trap? But that guy would actually, he would know Patty Duke more than he would know the parent trap. That was, right. That was a better reference. Right, right, right. So, yeah. Yeah, so those are... Well, and he talks about, you know, I, 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 the idea of the mob as, you know, businessman and, and, you know, setting up the, right, and all of those Think things. Think of me as a landlord. Right, yeah. and so far, you know, you see the moment when they're in the car and he's counting out Franco's money and he's like, to the penny, just like you said, come on, I want to show you something. Mm -hmm. Right, and Franco kind of says that could back, go like, either way. There's so many possible, yeah. and most of them are bad. Yeah, most of the possible outcomes of this conversation aren't good for you. No. Right? No, not at all. And you see that, but when it comes to this particular character, yeah, we are only bringing our stereotypes to the table. Right. So far, right? Right. Like we don't know. Yeah. We haven't seen this guy. He yeah. might be the one guy <laughs> who doesn't believe in breaking legs, but right. sends people to drug rehab or whatever. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. And in fact, we have seen him actually be lenient around the Frankie character. Right. He doesn't get to be involved in the business or whatever, but as long as you're going to keep this shit up, I'm not taking his bets, but I'm also, yeah. you're not going to find his head in the fucking Hudson. Right. You know? And so it's an inter. I, I, I like that. Because you don't see that in very many mob-related things. And when mm. you do see that character, it's the fucking godfather. And right. there's all of this yeah. pomp and circumstance right. and, and mythology built right. up around the character. And he's petting a cat, and I'm going to mm. ask you for a favor. And it works right. so well in that one movie. Right. But I've never seen anybody else do it well. Right. In virtually anything mm -hmm. else, right? Yeah. yeah. And so to to see that character, you kind of get some of that, like the first when, with Junior in The Sopranos, mm -hmm. but they undercut all that shit very quickly yeah. with that character. Yeah. They popped that balloon almost immediately, yeah. you know? <laughs> yeah. And, I, and in this one, we have a different, another kind of take on that character so far. Mm -hmm. And of course, you're always wondering, like, well, how is it going to, when's it going to go dark? It's the same thing as the you pimps know. in the first episode. Like, right. when does this shoe drop? Because yeah. you know it's, it's oh, got to. 100%. There's yes. no way it's... Yes. Well, and there's no way that Frankie keeps his nose clean. I mean... Right. Yeah. yeah. But before we wrap up, I, you, I, you should... Uh, the thing you mentioned um, about the relationship between the two of them, I thought was really, really intriguing. The relationship between the two twins. Oh, um, yeah. I mean, I really like how they like each other. Yeah. You know, even though one of them has taken on a $30,000 debt for the other one. Right. Like, I got sisters, and I love them. But what's $30,000 <laughs> in 1971 to 2017 yeah. oh, money? Jesus. Like, yeah. we're going to have a moment, you yeah. know? I mean, that, like... But... 
but they they just seem to that's just kind of how he is and i yeah. don't know like yeah. one no, of his be, balls about the wife but you know it would be so easy to for that to be just a a, a place for easy conflict right and easy conflict is what shitty writers live on you know <laughs> right, just right. creating characters that dislike each other and having them yell at each other a lot right you know it's so much more interesting to have characters who should do that and make the choice not to yeah uh to instead just sort of figure it out yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and that's just you know and i don't think we're gonna see a lot of them together Right, just because it's more complicated to shoot. Right, um, but I, the fact that that does seem to be the dynamic of that, it's a familial dynamic. It's busting balls. Yes, you know, yes. but it's not. It's helping each other out. It's feeling the way they feel about each other. And I think you're right that 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 is a, a, a less conventional but more interesting way to go with that relationship. Well, and we even see them, you know, at the the sisters' kitchen table. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and they're kind of cracking jokes, and they're talking about the Van Dykes and all this, right. you know. And it's just, it's such a, um, it's just so not about what their relationship in the show yeah. is, like, what the central nugget that we care about is. Right. You know what I mean? Yep. And that's great. Yep. And again, we have these opportunities to see Franco uh, literally on the, either end of the table, mm-hmm. talking to himself. Yep. You know what I mean. And again, we see this thing where one of them is more expressive with the face, more open. One of them is a little more reserved. You know, he laughs. He doesn't laugh quite as easily. You know, yeah. but yeah. He, but he's still there. Yeah. And it very much reads as a, as a difference in the characters' personalities as opposed to a difference in the way they're approaching the situ- the situation. Right. That's really good. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Um, one other thing that that stood out to me in this that I, is not clear, and I don't actually have a point about. Okay. Uh, just, I just <laughs> nothing, <laughs> nothing like signposts. This could go nowhere, folks. You may just want to shut it off now. Uh, yeah, you don't listen to the the Game of Thrones theorizing podcast. <laughs> <laughs> you could start all of those stories, but this could go nowhere. The, so the first time we see, and we didn't see. The uh, what do they call the hooker van? The uh, hooker van. The well, the paddy wagon. The paddy I, wagon. Yeah, and, and he says at one point, you know, it's a drunk tank now. You know, yeah, drunk yeah. wagon now, right? We didn't see that in the first episode. The first time we've sure. seen, right? And we see it in the beginning, the pre-credit mm-hmm. scene where we see uh, Flanaga, mm-hmm. Flanaga, <laughs> right, or yeah. Flanagan. Yeah. And I wonder, is that a thing that they did? So, like, if if. A cop named Flanagan beat you up, but he didn't have an in on know. the end of it. You could be know. like, I don't but know, it's Officer Flanaga. Like, it I was on know. purpose. I want to know. Because the way he said, yeah, I've been meaning to get that fixed. Yeah. It kind of didn't sound like he was... No. Kind of didn't sound like it, it wasn't was... wasn't keeping him up nights. Yeah, right? Yeah. So yeah. I wonder about that. But anyway, yeah. so we see Flanagan and we see his partner. Um, And they are picking up the ladies. And if the ladies have a property mm-hmm. receipt... Yes. from the precinct in the last 48 property hours. Property voucher. Property voucher, thank you. Mm-hmm. They don't get picked up again, right? You can walk, so I guess you can hook for 48 hours before yeah. you got to go in and pay the city tax, yeah. the city hooking tax. Um, and they're pu- they put them in the thing, and then, okay, fine. So this is So it just kind of feels like just a method of enforcement, but nobody really takes that seriously. No. Then they're like having them order Chinese yep. food. Then apparently, like they've got a yard. Yeah, at the precinct. Every, everybody, you know <laughs> what? You know what it is. It's you know the the great uh, Looney Tunes cartoon 
where the wolf and the sheepdog like clock in, <laughs> right, clock right, out. Right. It's that. Yes. Okay. Everybody's just doing their job, exactly. and everybody knows who everybody is, and you know, oh, they're picking up the drunk cops, scooch over, you know. Oh yeah, I'll have this. Oh, you know, that comes with the sauce. Like I, like I, that sort of like that's workplace. Yes. It's workplace yes. comedy, really. Yes. Um, right. which I'm sure will go south eventually. So then there's a comment at a different scene with some of the other, when they're all together. Yeah. When all the cops are together, somebody says something about the paddy wagon and somebody else says they don't want to do it. And then Flanagan comes in the room. He's late. Yeah. Right. But he shows up and he stands next to his partner and he holds up the keys. Yeah. To the, the wagon. Right. And he does it like he's proud of himself. Yeah. Or like he got the magic bean. Yeah. Or something. There was something there because we see them in it and it's just they're doing their job. Then we see a group of cops talking about it and one of them says they don't want to do it. Yeah. Right. So we're casting aspersions on that Mm -hmm. particular gig. Right. Mm -hmm. It's not exactly the most prestigious beat, I suppose, or whatever the case. And then he comes in like he won a prize. Yeah. And I'm wondering where the hell that's going to go. You know, what exactly like is there? What is he up to? You with know, regards to the, no, well, yeah, and then we have that strange scene that follows the closing scene of the episode where the property voucher does no good suddenly, right? So, where is this going? So, that's clearly it's almost as if they wanted us to sort of end the episode asking this very question, perhaps. And like everything else they tried to do, it worked for me, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. So no, it's a good just, point, it's a good point. That just really, you know, I'm curious to see what they where are getting goes. out of, yep. It. You know, because it indicated that little look he had when he shook the keys indicated to me they were getting something out of it. Yeah. Um, And my only other thought was that I'm happy to be to know enough about what we're talking about here to recognize some of the names on the marquees and stuff and to like know what a key light is when she's asking Mm -hmm. and things. I'm glad to not know so much that when I saw a character pulling cans of Campbell's soup, before they I walked in the other yes. scene, that I, I didn't, didn't know, know where that was, was going to go. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm, maybe it's just you know, I don't know. Yeah. But I'm happy to be living in that area. Yeah, that no, that that space in between those yeah, two that's bits. Too much. Of, right? That's I don't know much. if I want to know about that. I'm I glad right. I, you want to learn things. Yep. Still, you want to be you able do. to learn things about the world and yep. and the past. And I'm I'm glad I didn't yep. know that. Not live in a pit of despair where you know that just offhand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm yeah. with you. I'm you with know? you. Same. Hard same. It kind of works in the same way that like uh, chocolate syrup worked as blood in black and white movies, but sure. not color, right? Like sure. I feel like if you try to do the cream of mushroom in some HD. No. <laughs> Something's wrong with him. He need to get to the doctor. <laughs> You need to go to the clinic yep. and not come back until you've been. All right. I think uh, this was a great episode Yep. in the way that uh, their episodes are great, yep. which is that... This, you know, uh, it's episode two. We're building more. Building two. more we're of the world. There. Yeah. Yep. And you know, we know the characters, and now that we're starting to find out what's happening in the porn world, we're getting that information through characters that we already have some information about yep. and some interest in. Ahead of time, um, college girl has dropped out. Yep. Uh, I said last after the last episode that she was going to be the example of the person who did it for fun and not because they were desperate. But when you have a character sitting on a mattress on the floor, <laughs> counting twenties out that their mom gave them out of an envelope, it seems pretty clear. Desperation might have joined her. <laughs> it seems like yeah. maybe yeah. Yeah. She may have figured out how that works. So. Yeah. 
Um, <laughs> but it will still, I think, be interesting to see that character coming into that world from a much more middle class Educated. and intellectual yeah. kind of space. Yep. You know, I think that if she were to go and talk to Thunderthighs about objectification, Thunderthighs would pick up on the language quickly and probably teach her something. Yeah. But may not be, you know, f- may not have read all the Gloria Steinem that was out at the time. Right. Right. And so I think it'll be actually really interesting to see how those two worlds kind of come together. And I assume that that's probably going to happen through the Candy character mm-hmm. um, because the Candy character is already seen as, you know, being intellectually aggressive, kind of. Yep. And, and curious. And curious. Yeah. Curious is a better word than aggressive, really. Yeah. You know, but she does, she wants to know. And, and when, when, you know, the, I'm going to keep calling her the AD, even though she's doing a million other jobs. Right, right. Uh, when the AD says, you know, this is a fill light to, you know, to knock out your shadows. Right. She doesn't say like, what's that mean? Yeah, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Like she clicks along pretty well. Yep. And so I think it'll be interesting to see if those two characters come together because it seems like they're both coming from a similarly intellectual mm-hmm. and curious space, but right. Okay. Yep. So, yep. And then by the way, uh, we've got a prostitute reading Tale of Two Cities at the bar. So I like that. I, 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 yeah. I, like that. I thought that was really yeah. great. I yeah. thought that was really great. And and Jasper's, was that the word he used? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He said when uh, her pimp, after he pulled her away from the woman who was chatting her up, what did I tell you about them Jasper's? They don't spend. And Larry, man, that guy is getting... That guy is getting... Mm, I don't know about that he's, guy. He's, I don't know if he's likable. Yeah, he's feeling dangerous. Yeah, <laughs> he may not be our most sympathetic character. <laughs> he might not be. Yeah. And you know, Cece's the only one who's cut somebody. But it's interesting mm-hmm. too to see Cece's. You know, as Cece is talking to her about the possibility of some other slick talking dude coming along. Right. Right. He, he was playing that aggressively, but oh man, was there a heavy undercurrent of insecurity? Yeah. In oh that yeah. Yeah, and I thought much. that was really fascinating, too, because, yeah. like, the Larry character... Well, and how much of what Cece told her when they were coked up was genuine? Yes. I don't have the answer to that. Right. I like that I don't have the answer to right. that. But it's a question. Right. Yeah. Right. And, you know, the Larry character seems to... I'm not seeing a lot of insecurity in him. No. I'm seeing a lot of kind of offense. And bravado. And bravado and yeah. stuff like that. But there was that moment of insecurity with the Cece character, which yep. I thought was really... Mm-hmm. That's that's sharp. Yep. That's sharp. So. Yep. He's, uh, and just, I'm not going to say too much about his hair, but shout out to CeCe's hairstyles. Sure. Because sure. they are doing Agreed. a lot Agreed. with that. Yep. All right. Uh, very good. Uh, we have um, episode three just like sitting on the TV in there, just like waiting for us because we don't really got to like yeah. wait a week because yeah. that's one of the great things about, really, I mean, frankly, the whole reason I got into all of this in the first place was because they'd send me free CDs in the mail <laughs> in like 1994, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. the Here modern we version of that is I'm about to go watch episode three. Right. Uh, thanks for joining us on the Deuce Rethread. Uh, I'm Mike, that's Jason, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Deuce on the DVR Podcast Network. You can check us out at dvrpodcast.com or on Twitter at dvrpodcast. You can email Mike and Jason at thedeucedvr at gmail.com or follow them on Twitter at thedeucedvr.